what you hearing. This is what you hearing. Listen. This is what you hearing. Listen. This is what you hearing. Listen. X go give it to you. Fuck wait for you to get it on your own. X go deliver to you. Knock knock. Hi listeners. In these episodes, we've taken the recordings from the Estelian CX7 event that was held in London in November 2021. Uh, it was an all-day event, so we've broken it down into a few different episodes. In this one, we're going to get to hear the speech from Daniel Priestley, where he talks about the impacts of COVID, what happens after COVID, and how businesses need to be much more aware of what they're doing going forward and where to look for success. Obviously, these recordings are taken from a live presentation, so there might be some occasions whereby... You know, he's referring to something on the screen, but it shouldn't make too much difference for your listening. If you do want to watch the actual presentation, then it's available on the Iceberg Digital YouTube channel if you'd rather just watch it. But you should get everything you need from being able to listen to it on a podcast. Hope you enjoy. I consider Dan to be one of my mentors and also uh, a good friend now. Um, Dan has a fantastic ability to be able to convert very complicated subjects over into something that seems so simple, and you wonder why you were ever confused about it in the first place. Um, he's been voted as one of the uh, top business coaches in the country and the top 10 business coach, coaches in the country and in fact just recently has been uh, voted as one of the finalists of, as the entrepreneur of the year. There's only f four or five finalists so you've got one of the top um, entrepreneurs in the country talking to you. He's built million pound businesses, he's got four best selling books. So I'm going to pass you over to Dan. Dan's going to talk around data and why that's important in our sector and why everyone in this room and everyone in our industry and everyone in any industry really needs to pay attention to it. Please welcome Daniel Priestley. All good? Thank you, mate. Appreciate no you. How are you? It's very strange to be in a room with real people. Uh, it's kind of like um, I can see legs. For the first time in years, I can see people's legs. <laughs> it's a strange, uh, strange phenomenon. So uh, thank you very much for having me at Estate Agency X. I'm having a bit of a clicker issue going on. Mark, do you mind swapping your clicker for my one? So I've known Mark for many years, and I've, I've really been thrilled to see the journey that he's taken people on. I think not just his journey, but the journey of the people who have gone along with him. Um, he's been leading, uh, he's been a thought leader in the industry for many years since I've known him. He's been running lots of different events um, and he creates great products. He creates great, he doesn't just talk thought leadership, he actually acts upon it, puts his money where his mouth is, invests in the technology that is going to be the next game changing technology. And there, thanks so much, Mark. And, uh, and I think that makes a big difference. Uh, Two meter ones up, down, and nice. ones are at the bottom. Thank you. There we go. So it makes a big difference. A uh, little bit of background from me. I run an entrepreneur accelerator. My background is entrepreneurship. You can hear I've got an Australian accent, but I've lived in London for about 15, 16 years. I came for two years back in 2006, but accidentally had three children and got married. Um, so, uh, so I'm here for good now, uh, but I still have the Australian accent. 
Um, I built a business in Australia and sold it, came to the UK, and I started an entrepreneur accelerator about 10 years ago. We now operate in London, in Sydney, uh, in Toronto. We have about 3,500 companies that we've incubated and accelerated over the years. Um, and it's given us a great perspective of different businesses. Uh, I also have done some acquisitions. So I've acquired a group of what's called growth services companies. So we own all of these companies here in the growth services group, giving us a really good insight into different businesses, how they're growing, how they're scaling. So we've got the uh, accelerator side of things, but we've also got the hands-on working with companies day to day uh, in, our, uh, in our growth services company. And it's a global business um, operating the three major time zones now. Uh, going into the pandemic, we had eight offices around the world. We now have three time zone offices. So it's been a bit of a change in the last two years, but it's been a really positive change. We've stripped down and become a more lean organization while also uh, growing uh, exponentially as well. Um, so disruption, let's start with the obviously the big elephant in the room. Uh, this is probably one of the first live events you've been to in a while. So we all got disrupted. I don't think... Um, uh, it was actually so much disruption as acceleration. So, you know, Dent is the best accelerator in the world up until COVID. COVID came along and accelerated a lot of trends that, um, that was uh, happening. The way people were living and working coming into COVID uh, has been accelerated by the pandemic. Uh, and in, for, for the last 10 years, I've been showing these kind of slides and saying that there's this great shift in humanity, the great shift in the way that we live and work is, is upon us. You can imagine what it was like in the agricultural age when people were on the farm using their horses and, and farming the traditional ways, and then they look across to the neighbouring paddock and they see some 22-year-old on a tractor, and they think to themselves, my goodness, how is that 22-year-old doing the job of 100 people? They're just sitting there, just sitting on a tractor, doing the job of 100 people, ploughing a field using this new... Uh, this new technology, and very rapidly that sparked a, an industrial revolution that changed the way that people lived and worked. So in the agricultural age, 95% of people were connected to farming and connected to food production and the land. A uh, very small percentage of people worked outside of that. And then when the industrial revolution kicked in, the way that we live and work completely shifted and changed. We had this new in innovation called the factory, and everyone kind of moved into these urban areas and moved into cities and became factory workers. And there was an interesting situation that happened that there were two classes of people. There was the factory owner and the factory worker. Um, and the two of those were two very different people. You didn't have people who owned the factory working in the factory, and you didn't have people who worked in the factory suddenly getting ambition to own the factory. Right? So those two were very different. When I first came to London in 2006, I joined a little private members club called Adam Street down off the Strand. And down in Adam Street, there was this new type of worker. And uh, they were a strange type of person. They would sit there with their laptop and their business cards, calling themselves an entrepreneur. And essentially, the entrepreneur is part factory owner, part factory worker. Right? They kind of own the means of production, and they work the means of production. They're trying to build something uh, by working in it and also owning it. Uh, and that was a very strange idea, the fact that someone could be sitting in a coffee shop with a laptop, calling themselves an entrepreneur. And today, look at what's happened with, with COVID. Everyone's working from home. Everyone's working from coffee shops. Everyone's working remotely. We're going through a great shift and a great change right now. Uh, right now, there's a lot of euphoria with people saying, wow, isn't this amazing? I can live and work from anywhere. Unfortunately, next year and the year after, 
people are going to say, oh my goodness, my job was moved somewhere else, right? My job has now been offered to me if I want to move to the Philippines and take one third as much, right? So we're going to have this huge shift in the way that we live and work. In the short term, it kind of looks kind of cool. In the long term, it's going to totally change the way everybody lives and works uh, around the world. So we're going through this entrepreneur revolution. People are, are, are changing the way that they're, that they're doing things. I love this image here. You've got two people who think that they're in the same race, right? Maybe it's a triathlon, right? Maybe this person is, uh, is running along and they just didn't get the memo that it was time to get on the bike. And they thought, you know what? I haven't got time to get on the bike. I'm really getting my pace going with my running. I feel good about my running. I feel like I've practiced my running a lot. And, uh, and I don't feel like I'm ready to adopt this new strategy. I don't want to change the way I'm doing things. And I don't want to adopt this new technology and get, get myself on the bike. So I'm just going to keep running. And of course, we know what would happen, right? Very quickly, the, the gap between the two starts to widen. We have inequality between the two. And the two are sitting there, and the person running says, this isn't fair. I'm running harder than ever. I'm running my guts out, and I'm falling behind. And the person on the bike says, really? That's strange, because it's easier than ever for me. In fact, I'm spending less energy than I've ever spent, and I'm getting ahead far, faster and further than I've ever been. What's the difference? The difference is technology, the adoption of technology. And what we're, hap what we're seeing in society at the moment is it's been called wealth inequality. We hear about the top 1%. Well, it's no surprise what the top 1% are doing. The top 1% are adopting technology. They've got themselves on the bike. And what we actually have is a percentage of the population that are on the bike and are powering ahead, accessing more money than there's ever been on the planet, accessing more talent than there's ever been on the, on the planet accessing bigger markets than we've ever had access to before. And those entrepreneurs that are on the bike are just saying, you know what, it's amazing. It's easier than ever. It's more fun than ever. I can't believe how far I'm getting ahead with, with you know, it's not even, I don't even have to leave the front door anymore and I'm talking to a global audience, right? So these people are on the bike. But we've got a lot of people who are in the middle getting squeezed, saying I'm running harder than ever. So it's an important distinction. Now, the game is also changing uh, as we speak, and uh, there's a big shift, a big change that's happening. Some of you are just getting your heads around social media. You're just getting your heads around how that might be a major strategy for your business. But I want to say that if we were talking in 2007, in fact, you can look at the footage of me talking in 2007, and I said, whatever business you think you're in, you're also in the media business now. And I kept telling people, you've got to see yourself as a media company. You've got to create photos, videos, images, public publications. You've got to be out there publishing stuff. And I said that from 2007 to 2020. And I really said, you've got to become a media business. But as we go from 2020 and beyond, there's more to the story now. You've got to be a data business. You've got to figure out how to use data analytics in your favor. Right? Data is the big innovation at the moment. If you look at US presidential elections, they tend to predict the big trends in how business should run. Uh, FDR, uh, he had a fireside chat with the radio, and then radio became a big thing. Uh, JFK had a live televised debate to win the election, and then television became a big thing. Obama, he won the election using social media in 2008, social media engagement, and then that became a big thing. In 2016, our elections got disrupted through data analytics. There was a company called Cambridge Analytica, which 
crunched data, analyzed data, found weak spots in democracy, and went and drove a wedge right into those weak spots. And they did that with data. They couldn't have done it if it wasn't for data analytics. And what that tells you is that the big trend for the next 10 years is about data and data analytics. That sounds like such a weird thing to talk about, especially in a state agency, but it's absolutely what we need to be talking about. So let's start with a little bit of data about the estate agency industry. Um, this is from something called the Scale-Ups Report, which talks about fast-growth entrepreneurs and fast-growth companies. And in particular, it looks at the very small number of companies that are growing by more than 20% year-on-year. These are called scale-ups. So real estate has not yet been disrupted. We can see that the retail industry has been massively disrupted because new technologically uh, advanced retailers are coming in and disrupting the retail space. What does that look like? It looks like high street retailers being on the uh, running as hard as they can, and along comes Shopify retailers disrupting the whole industry. And I work with a lot of these disruptors, and it's incredible how they've pioneered a Instagram to Shopify business model that just cuts out the whole retail chain. They can offer a better product and service to their customers. It can be more exciting and innovating than a retail store, and they can make a lot more profit and a lot more money doing it. Professionals, uh, you know, these services, um, admin and support services, highly disrupted. But as we go right down the chain here, we get to real estate. And this says that the real estate industry is ripe for disruption. Right? So the fact that it hasn't been disrupted yet does not mean it's not going to be disrupted. It just means that the business models that are going to disrupt real estate haven't yet hit you, and they are going to hit you. Right? They're go they're, they're, this, this is going to work its way down the chain. Right? So these companies, the, the innovators, they're just going to tick these industries off their lists. Um, how are real estate businesses being disrupted? So there's really two ways that you can scale a company. You can scale a company by throwing people at the problem, or you can scale a company by throwing technology at the problem. When you throw technology at a business, the business expands uh, and grows and scales without adding headcount, right? So every time you put a software system into your business, you don't have to increase the number of people in the business, but you can get more capacity out of the business. So if you think about real estate companies that are using Iceberg, they essentially put a new system in place, and then that system does a bunch of the work, but people don't have to do that work. So they're throwing technology at the problem versus throwing people at the problem. So if we look at how, re um, how real estate companies are scaling, the majority of the companies that are um, in the scale-up phase are scaling through technology. So 66 out of 100 are just simply throwing technology at their business. They're not adding headcount. Their business is growing by more than 20% per year, without adding any extra people. That's 66 out of 100. Uh, they, they grow by 20% with no extra people. Interesting, right? 18% just grew by 20% by adding people. And then 16% did both. They added technology and people in order, to, uh, in order to grow by that percentage. So, but the vast majority of real estate companies that are uh, scaling are throwing technology at the problem. They're not throwing people at the problem. Really important distinction. Uh, this was all predicted, right? Uh, Mark was writing about this in 2015. Uh, his book came out in 2016, and it talks about this uh, in, in great detail five years ahead of uh, schedule. Um, if you haven't read that book, uh, certainly go back and have a, uh, have a read. Oh, look what you've done. You've hijacked the clicker so that it doesn't move past your book. That's it. OK. Uh, so the next, the next part here is... Uh, what is the point of data analytics? So there's a couple of points of data analytics. The first point 
is that you need to become known by your marketplace more effectively. Rather than just kind of scattergunning messages out into the marketplace, you need to be able to find out who's receptive to a message and then be talking to them at the point that they're receptive, and data helps you to do that. Second thing is that data helps you to know what people are thinking. So we'll talk through a couple of those ideas. So here's the cool thing about our heads. Inside our heads, we have this wonderful thing called a brain, and one of the key features of the brain is a limbic system. It'd be very, very hard to function without a limbic system because a limbic system filters most things out, right? It actually keeps you from understanding most things. It only allows you to pay attention to the things that are most important. You can test your limbic system by walking down a busy street, and what you do, what you do is you walk down the street. At the end of the street, if I ask you, Describe for me three or four people that you remember seeing on the street. Most of you will say, I don't remember anyone. So what your limbic system was doing was blocking out people. So you were walking down Oxford Street, and there's all these hundreds of people around you. Your brain just turned them into blobs or shapes as they moved past you, completely forgetting them. Right. So you're not paying any attention whatsoever. You're able to operate your phone. You're able to think about your day. You're able to do lots of other things. If you didn't have a limbic system, you would literally be looking at those people, engaging with them, like feeling you know, some sort of a, a presence of them. Right? But you don't feel any of that. You don't connect to it. You don't emotionally engage with them. You don't intellectually engage with them. You just simply walk down the street, not noticing them. Now, this is what most marketplaces are like. Right? When you're operating your business, your business, you care about your messaging. You care about telling people what they need to know. You care about putting stuff out there. But people who you're talking to have a functioning limbic system, and they're filtering you out. They're just deleting you. They're getting rid of you. And they're saying, I, I, you, know, you can tell me anything you want to tell me, but right, my limbic system is just going to fil filter that out. Right? So they are getting rid of you. There's only five things that get through the limbic system. Three of them are not necessarily very useful to you as an estate agent. So the first thing that gets through, through the limbic system is anything that's scary or that's a threat. So if you want to appear to people as a threat, uh, then that will get through their attention. It's not really a good tool unless you're a news agency. News agencies like to uh, lead with stories that appear threatening, and that's why they do that, because they want to get through your limbic system. Not very helpful in the estate agency business. Second one that you could go with is something that is strange. Uh, you could dress up as a hot dog, and that might get someone's attention. Probably not the best one for credibility. Um, in, in your business. Next one you could go with is uh, sexy. Sexy gets through the limbic system. We're pretty much biologically wired to notice uh, certain people as we walk down the street uh, if they're looking sexy. Once again, not terribly useful when you're going to be uh, dealing with people on a professional basis. So let's look at what does work. What does work is gift giving. So uh, giving people a gift, giving, them some, giving people something for free, giving them free information, giving them free content. Uh, uh, allowing people to feel that they got value or that they were in some way uh, given something with zero strings attached. People loved, love gift giving. Um, and then the big one for estate agents would be familiarity or friendship. So we, if you were walking down a busy street on Oxford Street and you saw a friend from high school, you're, you're, the, the, the limbic system does the opposite. It's really bizarre and I find it strange every time it happens to me. If there's somebody who I know and I see them on the other side of the street, my brain goes bam, 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 bam. Oh, look, there's Mark. Mark and Haley, they're walking down the street. Oh, and I will cross the street and say, hey, Mark, how's it going? Because he's familiar to me. My brain filters him in, not out. 
So this is a really powerful thing that what we need to do is become familiar. So the biggest weapon that you've got out of these five is going to be familiarity. The fact that you're familiar to people, that you, they show up as, you show up as a face that they recognise, that they feel familiar with. So how does this system work? It's called the know, like, and trust system. We need to get to know people, like people, and trust people. Google researched this system. They found that when people buy from someone, they buy on the 11th interaction, typically. So what Google did is they went through people's search history, and they had a look at how many times did somebody visit the Iceberg website before they subscribe to Iceberg, right? And it turns out it's about 11 times. They have to read a blog, read an article, look at a YouTube video, maybe follow a social media account. So the people who get to trust you, people who go, yeah, I know that person, I like that person, I'm familiar with that person, it takes 11 interactions before that system kicks in, according to Google's research. There's somebody called Professor Robin Dunbar, an amazing researcher here in the UK, who studied how primates organise their friendship groups and it turns out that we have these different friendship groups that are called Dunbar's numbers. And essentially, we have 15 very close friends um, who you would confide in them if you're in a really dark place. Uh, you have about 50 close friends that you keep in touch with fairly regularly. You have about 150 friends that you would happily have over to your home and have at a dinner party, or you'd, you'd uh, break bread with them. Then you get into your acquaintances, and then you get into people that you kind of know by name uh, and, uh, and you know where you met them, you might know one or two things about them. So essentially, anyone who's going to be able to sell to someone, if you're going to be able to be a salesperson, you're going to need to be in these zones here. It's unlikely that you'll be here, but it's going to have to be somewhere around here. So Dunbar found that in order for you to be occupying someone's space in their head in that 500 to 1500 range, you have to have spent about seven hours or been in four locations with them uh, in the last 90 days. So in the last 90 days, seven hours, four locations. A location could be Facebook, a location could be YouTube, a location could be social media accounts that you share. Um, so seven hours uh, worth of content, seven hours worth of interacting, that's where people jump up into that piece of awareness. So if you combine all of that, we call this the 7-11-4 system. So the 7-11-4 system is essentially, how do we get through the limbic system? Seven hours, 11 interactions, four locations. If you're doing 7-11-4 with people, you're suddenly getting through the filtering system and you're making it into their awareness. So you need to have a way to scale spending time with someone, right? Uh, having positive interactions with someone and seeing them or meeting up with them in different locations. Now, you can't just be scattergunning this because you, you would be spreading yourself too thin. You need a strategy that when somebody perhaps hits your website, it triggers a series of interactions that starts the 7-11-4 process on autopilot. So that when someone has a, a little bit of an interest, at the moment that they're taking an interest in buying a property or selling a property, uh, letting a property, at that particular moment, you need a computer system that figures out this is the moment that this person's going to be receptive and they're interested, and then we're going to begin a 7-11-4 journey with that person to make sure that we are building the awareness, we're building the familiarity, um, and, uh, and we're getting ourselves there. So people typically, when they buy something, 
Before buying, they talk to someone, they book a time, and before that all happens, we always think about this part, but we never really think about this part. It turns out that the research suggests that part is more important than the talking to someone. By the time you're talking to someone, it's probably already too late, um, or it's going to be very uh, labour-intensive to try and do, th do that. What this effectively does is it takes the market, which is a nebulous concept, and creates a tribe, and the tribe are the people who feel that they know you, like you, and trust you. They feel like they're in some ways loyal to you. They're wanting to work with you. So what we want to do is we use the 7114 research to the advantage to actually warm people up, right? The old-fashioned term for that was just warming up a prospect. So we need to be able to use technology to do that. One of the key strategies for this is called becoming a key person of influence. The human brain is built for faces and people, and we won't be able to replace that anytime soon. Here's a great example of this. Who wants to take a guess? What is the color in the logo of the G? Who wants to just call out what they think it is? Red, blue, yellow. Any takers for green? Yeah, we've got a green as well. We've got two greens. Who said yellow? Who said red? And blues? Oh, we've got a few, few more blues. You've probably seen the logo 10,000 times at least. Right, it's blue, it's always been blue. But humans don't remember logos. We don't remember uh, brands and symbols. We remember faces. We're, we're built for people. We're, it's social media is powered by our love of people. So what we have to do is build personal brands. Have a look at this. Richard Branson, 12.7 million followers versus Virgin, 245,000. I bet you the 245,000, they're just people complaining about their chicken sandwich on their flight or something like that, right? They're, they're not particularly followers even, but the people who follow Branson, they love following Branson. Uh, they, they, they feel that they know Branson. They feel that they've connected with him in some way. That's the power of the personal brand. Mark's 100% ahead of the curve on this as well. He's been building a personal brand since day one, since I've, I've been working with him. He's been putting out media, putting out tele, um, a TV show, uh, engaging on social media, all of those sorts of things. We get to know him, like him, and trust him. He publishes great content. Right? All of that is about building the personal brand. Let me be really clear. In the estate agency industry, your big disruptors are going to be people with personal brands. There's no question about it. The people who are going to be selling the most real estate are the people who have powerful personal brands. Uh, you're probably all familiar with Summer, Summer Newman, right? She's, um, I know her, her dad is often at these conferences. Uh, she's got 40,000 followers on Instagram, a million followers on TikTok, uh, and um, hundreds of thousands of subscribers on YouTube. When she lists a property or when she promotes a property, it sells within days because she can just simply drop a video-based tour of that property onto her social media, and she's got a ready-made market of people who know her, like her, trust her, and um, she has been able to uh, essentially uh, get the biggest and most exciting properties in the world who are chasing her down in order to list their property or promote their property. Now, the key to this is what you're seeing here is a surface strategy. You're seeing on the surface, right? You're seeing a, a very, very much the, you know, what shows up on social media. What you're not seeing is the sophistication running behind the scenes. Behind the scenes, they're capturing the data and owning the data. They're building automation systems. They're making sure that they're figuring out and crunching all that data. You can't get to 
the levels that they're at and be as effective as they are without doing the behind-the-scenes stuff as well. So if you think that this pair, her and, her, uh, her and Matt, are just purely and simply just kind of being you know, flashy with their social media, you've missed the point. Behind the scenes, they are a data analytics business, um, and they're every bit data analytics and media. But make no mistake, these are, the these are the types of people who are going to disrupt the hell out of your business, right? Those big, juicy listings that you, you would love, you know, those multi-million pound properties, they're going to go to these types of people again and again and again. This is going to be a business model that others are going to copy and follow. So the second thing with data analytics is the ability to know what other people want. We need to be able to figure out uh, how to be a mind reader. In fact, when we think about our best friend, our best friend is actually a data analytics problem. The reason your best friend is your best friend is because they know what you like. They know what you're up to. They know what movies you've watched and what music you enjoy. They know stuff about you. We think of our best friends in terms of the data that we share between us. It's a data analytics thing, right? So when we talk about having a best friend, it's because we know stuff about them and they know stuff about us. We need to be able to do that with more people at scale. Here's a fun game. So we've got two characters here, a buyer and a seller. Uh, obviously, young uh, Wally has done well. He, he wants to upgrade and buy a big home. Time for Wizard to, uh, to move out of the big home and down, downsize, down, downgrade. They've got a contract hidden somewhere in the, in the map. They just need to get, uh, get together. So you've got to find Wally, and you've got to find the Wizard, and you've got to find the contract. OK, go. Just hands up when you've found them all, all three. <laughs> <All right. clears throat> now, this is the world that we live in, right? So we live in this big, complex, difficult world to understand. Where we, when we're running our businesses, we look out there, and we're, we're having a hard time making sense of the whole thing. Has anyone found Wally yet? We got one. OK. Uh, right? So it's very time consuming finding the right person, right? finding the buyer, finding the seller, finding the contract. So if I said, let's apply data analytics, data analytics says, well, we've crunched the data, and we know that it's not there. Right? So there's, we know that all of that is not the right person to talk to. Has anyone found Wally or the wizard now? Hands up if you've, if you've spotted him. Right, and what's happening in the, yeah, we've got a few more now. Right, and what's happening in the data analytics that's coming out next year and the year after is that this stuff's getting so good that this is what it'll be like. Right, so it'll be like, there's Wally, there's the wizard. So <clears throat> can you imagine that your job, literally imagine your job was to get paid by finding Wally in the Wally map? That was your job. And you're up against someone who has a system that just puts a circle around Wally and says, there he is. <laughs> right? And you're sitting there going through map after map after map, calling through all the people on the map saying, are you Wally? Are you Wally? Are you Wally? And the data is just the person you're up against, the person you're trying to compete with, has a system in place that just automatically blocks out half the map and, and, and after a few seconds figures out who, who Wally is. That's the future in the, in the estate agency business. There are going to be those on the bike and those who are running, and that's what it's going to look like. I used to run really big events all the time. So we used to run a, a big events every month somewhere in the world, Singapore, USA, Australia, London. We used to have all these really great events, hundreds of people. A typical venue like this here in London uh, was about £30,000 for the day. It was a concert theatre that we used to uh, run our events at. 
And then we just stopped doing it. Everyone said, gee, you must have gone quiet. Your business must have collapsed or gone, you know, something's wrong if you're not running these big events. I said, we just don't need to anymore because we started data analytics. We started a, a, a thing called a scorecard campaign, our online scorecards, people take the scorecard, they answer a few questions. We know whether we should talk to them or not. We don't have to have an anonymous 500 people in a room in order for us to sell something. We can just have 500 people taking a scorecard, and we know the three people who are going to buy uh, just by the way that they answer their scorecard. So uh, essentially, we just stopped doing this uh, leading into the pandemic, and we're probably not going to do it post-pandemic. Uh, the business has exploded in, in our success. We're way more profitable because we don't have all these overheads, but the reason was is we just switched to data analytics and, and we didn't have to play Where's Wally with the audience anymore. Um, this is what it looks like in your industry. So this is a firm in Texas, <clears throat> and they have on the front of their website, are you ready to sell your home? Answer 10 questions, determine your readiness to sell score. Uh, so people go in, they take the scorecard, they fill in their details, it asks them a series of questions, right? So it just goes through and it says, uh, you know, do you currently own or rent your home? Um, would you, uh, where would you like to be? How soon would you want to sell? So all of this stuff just gets asked, and then they get a score at the end, and it says, yep, you're 68% ready to sell your home, and they see a nice report, and then it asks them what they want to do next, and it books them into an appointment, perhaps. On the back end, they get all the data about each prospect. They can see what's going on with each person. They can see how they answered every question. They get all the leads coming in. Um, and they can start crunching that data. Now, that's the kind of thing that smart firms are doing. They're using ways of figuring out who they should be talking to first. Once again, Mark and Haley, Iceberg, they're way ahead of the curve. They've actually been doing this exact strategy for years. I think this was their 2019 uh, Discover Your Estate Agency marketing score that they put together. Right? So they've been figuring this data analytics thing out for, for years. They're well ahead of the curve. Um, you crunch the data, you can gain insights, you talk to the right people. Uh, so digital assets are the key to making all of this work. Digital assets uh, are the ones where you can track them, you can measure them, you can set up systems against them. Uh, it, you, you must start thinking about digital assets as being as valuable as real estate assets. Uh, in fact, that's actually true. From 2015 onwards, the vast majority of the wealth of the wealthiest companies in the world is made up of just digital assets. So uh, back in 1975, they gave a term called intangible assets, uh, which was this kind of thing that they called goodwill, uh, and they also called it intangibles. Uh, today we know what that is. It's things like brand and culture and systems and media and all of these things that don't cost much to produce, but they add a lot of value. But back in 1975, there wasn't many of those in the top 500 companies in the US. But as of 2015, those are essentially the vast majority. And that trend just continues. So the, the biggest and most successful companies on the top 500 in the US, they have about 85 90% of the value of their company is digital assets now. So this stuff is more valuable than real estate. Um, the biggest and most valuable piece of real estate on the planet right now. Does anyone know what is the most valuable piece of real estate on the planet? Bitcoin. Uh, Bitcoin is about as valuable as Australian dollars. Just uh, all the Australian dollars is just a little bit worth, uh, worth just slightly more than Bitcoin. 
Um, the most valuable real estate on the planet is smartphone screens. If you can occupy a smartphone screen, if you can be the one who shows up on the screen, that makes you extremely valuable. The most valuable companies on the planet, if you were to work out each day how many people are looking at their products and their brands on the smartphone screen, those are the ones that are the most valuable. On average, people spend two hours and 51 minutes uh, on their smartphone each day. Um, and that trend just continues and continues and continues, as you're probably aware from your own personal behavior. It's just people spending time on smartphone. Your business is going to be judged by how you show up on that smartphone. If your business doesn't show up powerfully on, on people's phone, then it doesn't show up powerfully in the world. And you will be, be, you will be beaten by someone who does show up powerfully uh, on the smartphone. Final little uh, thing before we get into some Q&A. This image, not a great image on a big screen, but you'll get the point. Uh, in 1900, this was New York, and there is one car on the street, and everything else is horse and cart. Right? The whole street is full of horses and, uh, and carts, and there's one car that pops onto the street in 1900. Fast forward 13 years, and they took the same photo, and they found one horse and cart, and everything else had become cars. Right? So it had completely shifted, completely transformed. And I'm sure in 1900, plenty of people were saying, oh, this car thing won't take off. We've got plenty of time. You know, my horse business is great. It's going to be fine. Uh, things move slowly at first, and then they move really, really fast. In 1995, many of you got your first mobile phone, and it was a Nokia. Didn't do a lot. 13 years later, along comes the smartphone. Oh. Right? And, uh, it had a terrible camera, hardly any storage. It was a bit of a joke. Uh, in fact, that one there, I think, is, uh, is, the, is the iPhone 3. I don't even think the first one actually had, uh, had a camera. Today, genuinely, genuinely, you can film production quality uh, footage, cinematic footage, on your phone, on your device. You can literally do a Hollywood quality film uh, on, on something that is in your pocket. The cameras that come uh, in threes on the iPhone 13 are cameras that used to be something like quarter of a million each not that long ago. Now they're freely available and in your pocket, you know, along with everything else that is there. So that's just been 13 years. That's it. 13 years from the launch of the first smartphone to where we are today, and then 13 years before that was the launch of the first you know, majorly accepted mobile phone. Where are we going to be 13 years from now? Where are we going to be in 2033? We're going to be surrounded by AI doing all sorts of decision-making for us. We're going to be having a lot of cars that drive themselves. We're going to be plugging into a metaverse and uh, visiting virtual worlds and spending time in virtual worlds. All of those types of things, we think of them as a bit strange and a bit odd, but history just repeats and repeats and repeats, and it will shock you how much can happen in 13 years. What will happen to the estate agency industry in the next 13 years will be very much what's happening to the retail industry uh, in the last 13 years. A great wave is moving through the economy, disrupting every single business, and you get the chance to surf it or get dumped by it. And it's as simple as that. You surf or get dumped because it's such a big, powerful wave. And I just want to say, by virtue of the fact that you're in this room spending time thinking about this stuff, probably says you're going to be the group of people who are surfing the wave. 
um, and it's a very, very good thing to be, uh, to be hanging out with others who are, who are doing that as well. Thank you very much for having me kick off the conference and happy to do some Q&A. what you hearing. what you hearing. Listen. what you hearing. Listen. what you hearing. Listen.